I always used a philosophy of all I want to do is win all the ties. I think in this world, the liquidity is out there, the visibility is, the transparency is out there. Who do you want to deal with? And if, if you're a person that does what they say, that treats people honestly, we want a lot of ties. And to me, that's what I'm trying to impart on some of these youngsters is working that way and living that way and making decisions that way. Welcome to the Land Department Podcast. The state of land and energy as we see it. Brian, what's up, man? How you been? I've been good. Took a little time off. We hadn't done a podcast in a little while, so excited yeah. to get back and, and finish the summer off strong. Uh, yeah. Super pumped to have Mike in today. It's going to be a good conversation. We've had this conversation and, and visited a number of times over the years at various landman functions and uh, at a number of different nates and stuff. So I was tickled whenever we reached out to him and he said he'd be interested in, in coming to talk to us today. So really pumped. Super excited about it. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Here. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thank yeah. you. Uh, thanks for doing this. I always relish the time to talk about the program. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're excited to hear about it. We could hear about Brent's stories from Denver, but we get your stories from your career instead, uh, which I'm sure are much better, <laughs> much better suited much for this lightning. podcast. And, yeah, Do I need to be probably... clean, in other words? Uh, when I'm... <laughs> <laughs> you do not have to be clean on this one. Every yeah. once in a while, you throw in a curse word in the class and it kind of wakes them up a little bit. <laughs> Well, you know, if they're going to be a landman and be in this business, they better yeah. be able to handle one, right? You betcha. Ab absolutely. Cool. Well, before we get into hearing a little bit about your career, Mike, because it is storied and it is really impressive, I want to talk a little bit about what you are doing today and how you've moved into this role at the University of Oklahoma. Sure. Uh, boy, it's, uh, it's, it's a long story in the sense of I cannot believe I'm here. Uh, I am so honored to be at OU, and I'm the seventh director of the program. Program was the first of its kind. It started in 1958 and is the only program to keep going since then. And uh, I feel that. I feel the history here, and, and I take it as a, an obligation to, to work hard and just pleased to be here. It's, I've been associated with the program for a long time. In fact, I graduated. December of 1982 with a PLM degree, uh, just in time for the collapse of Penn Square Bank. Wow. And so I was very fortunate to get a job and I, I was able to do that. But uh, also my son was an energy management major and graduated in 2016. And so I, I think I have a lot of history with this program. And I didn't realize it until I decided to take this job. Would you like to hear my story of, of how I got here? This is not something I talk about a lot, but sure. you might find it interesting. Sure. So I'm at Jones Energy, and Jones Energy was a company that was founded by my best friend, Johnny Jones. His family had been in the business since the 1920s. And this was Johnny's version of, of the company and moved it to Austin. Uh, we were best friends, still our best friends, and, and we would meet up every year at OU Texas, no matter where we were with families. And we have been doing that since 1980s, uh, gosh, uh, 1982. And so uh, it's, it was a fun relationship and it's been great. And all of a sudden, 
Enron goes down, and I can talk a little bit about that if you'd like. Uh, there's a lot of interest around that uh, in the sense of, of history. Some of the people that are listening to this might enjoy that. The kids today, when I talk about it, they don't even know what I'm talking about, which is great. <laughs> it's, been that, it's been that long ago. Let me tell it you has. about this. It's, it's been over 20 years, which I, wow. I just cannot believe it. But so we were working at, at uh, Jones Energy, really neat company, outstanding people, very quiet. And then we, we got together and bought a company and we ended up having to go with private equity. We needed a, a lot more capital than we could do just as the family and, and as cash flow. Well, it ends up, we, we were successful drilling a bunch of wells. We made a couple of small acquisitions and we, we kind of maxed out what our our private equity would give us. They had a $250 million limit on every investment. Well, we were, after the last acquisition, we were something like $235 million. So it's, what are we going to do? And we decided to take the company public. And we did that in July of 2013. And actually, that we were the first C-Corp energy company to come out that year. It was It was a wild experience. And I can go into more of that in a little bit later, but to, to answer the question how I'm here. So we do that, company does, does well, and then you, you know what's happened since then. It was terrible. And in 2018, we just kind of couldn't make it anymore. And our private equity, our shareholders, and some holders of debt decided it was time for a change. And they, I think we were getting ready to head into bankruptcy. And uh, so we ended up, Johnny and I leave the company and remained on the board for another six to eight months, which was really kind of odd. But at the end of the day, I was, Johnny and I were gone. So I had to figure out what I was going to do. You know, when you work for 13 years and it's all about equity and your equity goes to zero, you know, you've got to do something else. And you have to so make some more I, equity. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of funny when you think about it. I, I joke all the time. It's okay to, to lose all your money once, but to do it twice is just really bad, <laughs> especially at 58, you know, just saying. But uh, so I ended up trying to figure out what am I going to do next? Uh, because I needed to work. And so I looked at a, a bunch of things and I, I went back and said, what am I good at? And I'm good at writing business plans, laying out objectives and kind of executing on those objectives. So that's what I did. I wrote a business plan for finding a job. And it was an interesting experience and ended up kind of had a game plan. And uh, a few months later, all of a sudden, we had a couple of opportunities. And I had an opportunity to be CEO of a midstream company that with Permian Assets that needed some help. Uh, we had an opportunity to start up a new company that had no debt and a new private equity-backed company with no balance sheet issues which was kind of intriguing. And then I had this. So Steve Long turned to me when, when Jones went under, Johnny and I were, were gone and said, Mike, I'm 65 years old. I would like to retire. And I think you should take over and be the next director. And I was like, well, I was very moved by it. And we've known each other a long time. And I said, wow, Steve, thank you for thinking about me. But you know, I, I think I need to make some money again. This is and, not uh, in my business plan here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He goes, no, 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 you need to do this. And so it kind of got quiet, but I, I went through and I was very fortunate uh, in October of 2018, about four months after I started, 
I had all three jobs on the table. And so I got together with my wife and we're getting ready to celebrate our 29th anniversary. So you've got to question her judgment being married to me that long, but a true partner in life. And we had a, we had a meeting, we sat down and we said, we got three opportunities. We need to make a decision. And today's the day. So we go through it and she goes, well, Mike, let me ask you some questions. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, haven't you been lecturing in the energy management program for a while? And I said, yeah, 20 years. And she goes, how many have you missed? And I said, oh, two. I've missed twice. And I, she goes, huh, it's interesting. She goes, well, aren't you, on the, aren't you active in the Price College board at OU? And I said, yes. How long? I said, yeah, 20 years or so. She goes, weren't you chairman for three years? And I go, yes. And she goes, Mike, what's the call? You've been doing this. I get a little choked up. You've been doing this for 20 years. And I know it's been a pain for you to do it. You're all over the country and you fly in and do your speech and fly out. Why don't we change our lifestyle? And let's take this. And I will tell you, I was blown away. To have your wife say, let's change our lifestyle is very moving. And so that decision was made right then. And I decided to take the job. I found out later, I think she was in cahoots with Long. But, uh, <laughs> but, we but it, it was a decision that was big. And it really got down to something else that I do a lot here. And we talked in the program, we hit a lot about ethics and what it, what it means to live with integrity. What does it mean to, to have your word be your word? And how do you, you know, you're in a commercial role and that's what we're trying to, to you know, to teach here. How do you maintain that? And it was just a, an amazing thing. And my wife read back to me, she goes, you know, Mike, you have a personal mission statement. You've been big on that. And you just redid it. And I said, yes, I did. And I read it. And she goes, what about this thing about making an impact on everybody that you talk to? What about focusing on what's important, not what's urgent? What about having a, a great influence on people when you can? And so I followed my mission statement and my wife and took the job. So you get a story that almost no one's ever heard, but I think it probably described a little bit why I'm here and what I'm trying to accomplish, because I can assure you, you don't take this job for the money. And, <laughs> and so it has been a wild ride, but a great ride. And I've never looked back on it. And it's, uh, it's an honor to be here at OU. Yeah. Highlights kind of the importance of your partner in life, you know, oh. how important your, your spouse is and what they can do for you and, and how they witness and view, you know, us as professionals and, and people in the commercial world. And we're living that and we get caught up in that. You're always oh. driving and going, they get to see the whole picture. And sometimes it takes that, you know, for that partner, you know, I've been with my wife for 24 years. We've been yeah. longer, you know, together longer than we've been apart in our lives. And oh, that's a good way of looking at it. You're right. <laughs> we, oh my gosh. Started. That's that's but great you, perspective. They see you differently. And it's it's really great that she stopped to say, you know what, you need to you need to live, you need to go with what you live by. And and I think you need to do that. It's it's something how they'll push you and nudge you in the right direction when the time's right. It's just that's not good. about taking out the garbage. Is that what you're saying? 
<laughs> well, as <laughs> long as you keep taking that. out the garbage and don't don't go to zero too many times, they'll stick around. Exactly. <laughs> I, I I thought the first time was okay, but so so um, that's kind of why I'm here, and I will just tell you, and, and we I'd love to go into some detail on what we're doing, but uh, it's it's fun to be here. I just passed my fourth anniversary, so I'm in my fifth year. I wow, it's been that long. believe it. And wow. it's been a it's been a joyful ride. It's been a hard ride. Yeah, COVID I mean, did not do good things for for anyone, and they certainly did not do good things for a college students. Yeah, yeah that was and, a tough time. I I felt so bad. You know that we've all been through the industry. Well, the economy, everything's been through a yeah. pretty rough time, and um, I felt so terrible for some of these students that had worked and and excellent students and. They're seniors in college, and they've had their internships. I mean, the world, the world is right there for them. And then, you know, that happened. We had a number of them. I mean, we we worked with y'all's program and the different programs. You know, we were fortunate to have a job. You know, that that was perfect for students. So, I've never gotten as many good resumes of actual, you know, qualified energy management students that were, you know, seniors and ready to go than than I did in that time. And we were able to get some of them working and course they did great they're so prepared when they come out of your program but yeah i'd love to hear about the program and and that's what you know was a real interest to me i'm a plm graduate from louisiana lafayette yep a little bit smaller i was one of uh, three grad that graduated in 2004 or 2003 one of three i i you know we've all done that uh yeah. we've gone down in size and and we're down in size uh compared to what we're used to do so yeah yeah well I, I will be with them. We actually have a fun thing. We have a director's meeting put on by AAPL every year. Mm. And we moved it to July and we're going to have it here next week in Fort Worth at the AAPL headquarters. And it's fun to talk to all the programs and find out what's working, what's not working and, and really share success stories and, and things that are working with they're today's so important. students because they're, they're different. No doubt about it. Yeah. They're so, the programs are so important and, compared to what you see in some of the, you know, the other majors, I mean, that's, it's a small group. It's a core group. And, um, I mean, I remember bumping into people when I was going to school that were in, in these other programs and kind of cool to follow everybody and see how their careers have gone. So it's great that, that y'all get to do that. And, and, um, it's super important, you know, you yeah. need to, there's so much evolving, so much changing in our industry, um, and, and what opportunities are there for the PLM and energy management grads and, uh, ultimately the, the job of the program and your job as a director is to guide them and, and, and prepare them for the rest of their lives and help maybe present opportunities and, and give them a toolkit. Yep. So yeah. it's it really, really cool that y'all do that. Well, the toolkit is, is everything in it to, to get these kids prepared and it's still entry level, but are you giving them things they can take with you, uh, with them, excuse me, for the rest of their lives and in their work life and, and it's, it's been an interesting one. I, when I joined, you might like this story, my first couple of days here. So I show up June 1 of 19. And Steve uh, basically left the next day after, after you know convocation and we do all that. And he went off to Europe. He had a really cool experience. He took a religion class at Oxford. It, oh, it's what? so cool. And he was so excited. But, you know, I took over for him and he's gone. He's in Europe. And I and my assistant came in and said, well, you know, I work a nine month year. I don't work a full year. So I'm uh, nice to meet you. I'll see you in three months. 
And, and I'm literally sitting there in this office going, uh, how do I log in? Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm used to, I've been very spoiled in my, my executive life, having at least one assistant full time, if not two at times. And so it, it's, it's a story that might kind of bring it into perspective of how it shaped my vision of what we're doing now. So I, I get in and on that Friday, right before that, uh, we got an envelope in and, and she said, oh, we've been waiting for this envelope. And it's they're paying us for the scholarship money that they owe us. And the way timing works, you, you allocate uh, scholarships to, to kids and then the money kind of comes in later. And it was a little late. And he goes, I've been waiting for this and I'm not going to tell you who it, what company it was. And he said, this is big. This is the last thing that, that we were hoping to get. He opened it up and it was five individual checks. And he just looked at it and he looked at me and he goes, oh my God, Mike, look at this. And I opened it up and he goes, the company didn't pay the scholarship money. The landman, the landman passed the hat to cover it. Wow. wow. And I'm looking at these checks. And I said, well, Steve, I think I now know what I'm walking into because it was hard even back then. I mean, we went under, but, you know, what a lot of people don't remember or don't know is there were 600 bankruptcies in oil and gas, about 300 ENP and 300 in the services. And you can't fake that. Mm -hmm. And everybody was in a panic, like you said, and, and right then, uh, our number one graduate, one, one outstanding graduate of the year by AAPL, she never worked in the industry. The company wow. pulled the offers and she's never been in. And it, it was a tough time. And so I look back and you know, I'm alone and I went and talked to our development people next door and I said, can I get some data? I, I said, I have a, a mindset, but I don't want to have it be my opinion. I want it to be based on facts. And so I like data. And I want to look at data. And so they were able to hand me uh, the Excel database of all the alumni for the program. And by the way, there's been something like 2,600 graduates of this program since 1958. And I looked at the data, and there's a ton of old data that's incomplete, right, in a, in a database, especially going way back. And so but we had outstanding data on about 1,200 people. And I just started playing around and sorting. And I sorted by, I said, I wonder how our, how our students have done in life. And, and what, what can I learn from that? I, I did a you know, sort and I did it uh, A to Z, you know, top of short. And I looked at titles and I said, I wonder how many people are you know, running a company. So I get it and I looked at it and I said, okay, that's president. What about CEO? What about executive vice president, senior vice president, only really the people that are running in a COO type of role. And I was absolutely stunned that there were 174 alumni in that category. It was 12.9% of every single person we had data on was a, the most senior executive. Wow. And I was blown away. I expected that number to be 1% not 13%. Yeah. And so it started me on a journey to figure this out. And I did it by year and I broke down the data. 
And I started trying to analyze it. And, and what I did is I discovered some things and that I wanted to test. And I sent out a, a real quick survey to all the companies we had that had hired our students, internships and full-time. And I asked them, gosh, eight questions. I said, this is a two-minute survey. Please do this for me. I'm brand new. I'm trying to learn. You know, you don't have to worry about hurting my feelings. <laughs> you know, it's I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not the owner of this, but I am from this point forward. And I got some amazing data back. And that I, I immediately got up and went in the month of July and went to Houston and talked to 40 companies. But what I discovered through all this was it, the reason that that these these graduates had done so well was the general business background. And that got down to the heavy influence in finance. So going back in time a little bit, in the year 2000, we changed the, the major from petroleum land management, which is what I got, to energy management. And I was part of that. And I, I remember it pretty well in 2000. And we decided to make the major more substantive and, and really a lot more about finance and a better business person than than just kind of touching everything. And by goodness, that is exactly what's, what has happened. And those graduates are really, really prepared. Not necessarily on day one. In fact, I asked the employers that. They said, no, on day one, they're typical entry level. They're a little bit behind on some of the land stuff. But it's, they said after a year, they're amazing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm obviously stereotyping, but yeah. they're they're good. They're great business students, and they do really well. They get promoted, or they go off to different groups in the company, and and then be successful. and And it's kind of one of the things that I I I thought about and and kind of changed with this major is what do we need to be to be prepared during this pivot? So if you think about the history of the program, it's 65 years old. You know, we've had two major pivots and we're in the middle of one right now. The first one was 2000. And then right now in, in 2000 and, you know, 20, 21, 22, we're in another major pivot. And I think it was frankly one of the reasons I was brought in. I think I was, uh, I was brought in as a change agent. That was a big part of what I did commercially. And the industry was changing and the industry was in shambles. And so, you know, it, it was it was interesting. So I made sure and the feedback I got, I, I moved three classes from upper division electives, energy electives to requirements. And that was a senior level Excel class, which is direct feedback from employers. Every graduate has to has to take a, a negotiations course for a full semester. Hmm. And then I added a gas marketing and power trading course. Again, not, it was there, but it was not being taken because it was an elective. And I made that a requirement. And those were the first three changes I made. And I, I've been pleased with our results. It is right now, 40% of all the people in the program are either a double major or a minor in finance. Yeah. And I think that by able to keep that going, I think that's been really strong and, and it really is our, our influence uh, uh, that we're trying to, to give these kids. And I think every school has an emphasis and every school I like, I, I I'm always really impressed 
with all the other universities and what they're doing. We all take a little bit different approach. And I think that's fun because we all think we're good. And you know what? I think everybody is good. And so it just depends on, uh, you know, on, on what's the right fit for the students. And, and so, you know, that was a very long winded story about <laughs> starting. See, I no, told no, you I mean, this is going to get no. really long. You're going to have to edit this. <laughs> no, no. That, that's fine. We got all kinds of time. But well, you, that's, you know, that's how it started uh, yeah. when I got here. Yeah. The, the programs are great. And, and you're right. I think their, their circumstances, their alumni help shape what they are and, and kind of where they tend to go and, and how their students are prepared. Um, but the, the fact is you're right. I mean, the, the energy management is, is the, the key word there. I mean, we're land professionals, but you need to be able to, to, it's such a vast, you know, industry. I mean, it's, I've got clients that are OU grads that I work for in the renewable business now, you uh -huh. know, I've got tons of them that were in-house oil and gas clients of ours at Dublin land that have gone off into the finance group into the corporate planning groups and yep. all the things you said are 100% are evidence, you know, uh, by their ability to thrive in these other areas. So it's, it's, it's really invaluable. The, the electives you changed, I can't tell you, I live in Excel. <laughs> My yeah. clients live in Excel and the, the last, you know, I've seen 20 years of working with clients and to see what's changed and even the last 10 years and, mm -hmm. you know, what our expectations are as a service provider, um, from our clients, you know, they expect us to be able to be as sophisticated with Excel and reporting and, and all these different things as they are. And they've yep. really driven and helped brought the, the service industry as a whole, especially for, you know, field land land to another yep. level because the expectation is there. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, you got some really good students there. I, I want to say more than half of our clients are OU grads. Are they really? Well, that's, yeah. that's, that's fun to know. It is. Wow. It is. And, uh, which is making it really nice for now that LSU is going to beat up on OU and the SEC. It's going to be my chance to really just, you know, normally oh, I'm a you yes did it guy. Once for the NAS championship, I was there. It was, was, once was enough. <laughs> uh, so it, but it is fun. You know, I'm always the guy. I'm always the yes guy, right? But now you're on my turn. We're at Tiger Stadium, and I'm gonna, you're going to hear it from me. Okay? I, I want to go to a game. I may have to wear your colors so I don't get killed, though. <laughs> oh, you'll be all right. Just say you know Bruce Ord. Just say I know there a guy, Bruce Ord, and you'll be okay. They'll probably feed you, give you a beer, too. It well, they'd probably good. say, well, we've got a hundred of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Which or Boudreau, one of the two. That's the, yeah, pick one. Pick one. Uh, oh, hey, Mike, it. really fascinating it. that, you know, 13% are finding that executive level role inside of a company when they grad, or not when they graduate, but post-graduation. And you are one of those uh, that you're talking about, but that's not actually where you start, obviously. And you yeah. got your start in the land industry as well um, on the land side of things. And so I'd love to hear how that came about. You know, you said you, you got started right out of college when Penn Square went down and uh, you were lucky enough to find a job. How did you get started in, in as a land man? And what was that experience like for you and how did it shape your career? Sure. I, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, so I graduated in December. I took an extra semester I was trying to keep my grades up because I was going to go to law school and that was a lost cause. But uh, so I ended up, I was very lucky. I got two summer jobs with Champlin Petroleum Company in Houston, Texas, later bought by UPRC, the, the railroad. And 
I had worked two summers. My dad knew somebody and we didn't even call it internships. It was just a summer job. And I, I worked with the land department and I loved it. It was exactly what I wanted to do. I'm a, I'm a people person and a, I, I, I hope a commercial type of guy. And I was in love with it. They offered a full-time job. And then if you remember, so it's 1982, I believe it was July of 82 that Penn Square went under and price of oil collapsed. And it was about to start a real bad time for about a decade. And luckily for me, they, they honored my commitment. And I started off and I came to work in Houston, Texas. I left the day after graduation. I didn't go to the ceremony. I went to work. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was in Houston, Texas. And I really enjoyed it. They put me in these records and they had major layoffs for the first you know, five years while I was there. And I was fortunate enough to not get caught up in it until about three years. And I was one of the last people to go. And I, I think the reason was I, I was making so little money. And yeah, that's, uh, that's one way to working for two. One so way to survive a layoff is, you know, you know that's how you survive a layoff I, is to be cheap. Exactly. And, uh, but I enjoyed all aspects of it. I, I really loved the land business. It was suited for me. And, but it was dead, as you know. And, and so in 1987, uh, I got laid off. They kind of put me in division orders for a bit. And then it was just darn near shut down. Uh, before they got bought and uh, wonderful experience. And my wife, it's really funny how my wife comes back into it again on my career. She was, the, I think, the first female gas buyer for a company called Midcar. And they, they owned Panhandle Eastern and Trunkline and a bunch of those pipelines. And she goes, Mike, you need to get in the gas business. It's just like land, but in natural gas. And it's all deregulating, and I think you would love it. And so I ended up getting in, uh, did some gas contract work, and then I got an offer from a company called Florida Gas, and I took it, and I was a gas supply rep. And what I learned at that point for me, again, it was the skills that were transferable. And I took to it. Uh, natural gas became my buddy, and uh, I did really well on the pipeline side and loved every single day going to work. And it really was like land. And so it, in a funny way, in fact, let me show you something. I've got something up that I think you might be able to see some. Can you look at this back wall at all? Let me move this. Yeah, we, I can see it. Can you see that? Oh, these are the business cards. These are, I'm, I'm really making a mess of this. Hold on. This is great to be on camera. But if you look at that, those are all the business cards I've ever had in my life. We've talked about and that. My wife gave me this as a Christmas present when I took this new job. It was so cool. But what I wanted to point out, even though it's not very clear, obviously, if you look at that, that bottom job right there, that was my land job. So there's 20 business cards on this, on this frame, and one is land. And if, and if you looked at what actually was going on, I was building commercial skills and learning, but I, it was what I learned at OU. And so uh, I took to it, started, and I ended up having, there's 20 business cards on there. I did not have 20 jobs. Sometimes they were lateral moves. And, you know, I was kind of a, a change agent buildup guy at Enron. So I worked there for 13 years. 
and uh, I actually had a seat at the table. I was CEO of Enron Global Markets at the bankruptcy, and it's uh, it, it's still sometimes hard for me to to talk about. I actually, if you guys went to the AAPL uh, annual meeting in California, I actually did a speech, and it was called "Ethics Enron and and uh, Educating Tomorrow's Leaders," and it was a lot about culture and all of that. But but what that that silly thing back there is, and I take kids through that, is that we're teaching you how to be commercial folks. I mean, we are land. We are oil and gas. And I'm an and kind of guy. I'm not a but kind of guy. And the and to me is we're oil and gas and we are land and we're other commercial jobs in energy. And so that's been a lot. The land jobs have been difficult for entry level. Yeah, you you really said it well, Brent, when you talk about bright people, big resumes, it's tough to, to go against a, a three-year landman looking at an opportunity for a kid that's got, you know, two semesters and a new graduate. And so what, what I've needed to do, and I, I've called it, I, I'm a big commercial guy and I, you know, acquisitions, you always have project names, but uh, I, I, I went into something that I call E-cubed and it's energy management, employment expansion. And in the last couple of years, I've had well over 200 different companies I've met with going through what these kids can do and what OU teaches them and why they can fit in in a midstream company. So how do they fit in in a bank? Downstream. Finance companies. We have, we have graduates that are double majors that went to go work for Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, and they frankly didn't know who we were. And I had to kind of educate them on that. And it's especially true with the electricity companies and renewable companies. In fact, I'm, I'm probably the enemy because I'm a natural gas guy. But by talking to these companies and letting them know what skills we're putting out and how transferable it really is, and, and sometimes listing out the jobs they could do. I've been able, I've been able to get some uh, five different midstream companies hiring kids to be in gas control, gas scheduling, business development, and kind of learn that business. Yeah. And, and so it's been an interesting experience to take what I just said about you know, being successful and, and not losing our roots. I, I am land first and foremost. I am a land man, graduate, my son is, and now we're, we're adding. In fact, one of the things that drives me crazy in today's world is all the talk about the energy transition. And we all know, I just like to reframe it. I kind of challenge the premise and I call it the great energy expansion and instead of a transition, because one of the things, so we, I've let this, this department and this major get smaller every single year. And the reason is uh, we didn't have jobs for them. And when I took this job, one of the few requirements that I really talked about is something firm is I wanted total transparency with what we are seeing in the major. And if that means a smaller major, it means a smaller major. It was, I really wanted to teach the, the intro class, which was not unusual. Steve Long did that same thing and I kept the same format. And uh, I really wanted to educate these kids on being able to change and make sure they understood where they fit in. And, you know, it's, uh, 
it's been an interesting experience, especially with minus $38 oil. That just really helped, you know, new graduates coming out. Yeah, that'll help. And, your, and your fortunately, our, these these new sectors have really been helpful. And yeah. Brent and I were talking about this. You know, I, I came into our board of advisors a couple of years ago, and I laid out a new mission statement. I've already talked about that a little bit, that I have my own, but I, I have it for the for the group. And when I presented it, it wasn't just fluffy language. It was really talking about we're trying to, to uh, build and create energy leaders that can thrive in any sector and that can be successful to make a difference in the industry. And I, I turned to the board and I said, for me to do this, it's going to be 40% of my time expanding this employment pool because they don't know who we are. And you need to understand that and be for it. And then I think I was doing that. And then I think when Biden got elected, it was it was crystal clear that this was a really important strategy. And it's you know, I, I, I was I went back to him. And fortunately, we were starting this. I wish I could have started before you know, COVID uh, yeah. did it. But it made it very clear what the answer is. And that is, you know, this president wants to destroy oil and gas and do anything he can to, to lessen it. Not I'm not trying to be political. It's just a fact. He sure. did it on the first day, yeah. but a hold on leasing. Pretty clear and, on that. And he said, and I said, and he's going to spend a trillion dollars on renewable, on, on electricity. So are we going to become irrelevant or are we going to have our graduates move into renewables and electricity? And they were like, okay, I like it. And that's caused a lot of travel. And, uh, but it's been relatively successful and it's a building process. It and is. so I mean, that's, the biggest issue I've got now is I've got more jobs than kids because my, my only, my, I didn't try to grow this major. I, I was letting it kind of lessen itself with graduations. And in the last eight, nine months, I've said, okay, now we've got the jobs. So I'm in that influx where I'm, I'm trying to add people. And, and part of the reason I'm going out talking to a lot of people is to educate them on this major because, you know, I'm obviously in love. I'm, I'm the most biased human being on this on this major, but I do love it, and I do love kind of what we're creating and the opportunities for these youngsters. It's it's amazing. One of the things that that this major brings to it is not only does it uh, the highest paying major out of the business school, and that's been documented since I've been here. But I would be willing to bet it's almost every year for sixty years. Also, the highest wage for uh, summer internships, and we gave out two hundred twenty-four thousand in scholarships uh, for to, for our students, and so they're getting most of their debt paid off. And so, it's, there are some advantages to having a smaller major. So <laughs> that helps. I, yeah. I'm sure you just asked me my name, and I just told you my life story. <laughs> well, no, I mean we've talked about that a few times about you know it's it's not only preparing these people to work in land but energy, but it's really more about what do you take from college. It's it's being fluid. You know, you're gaining a skill set going through school, but then you're out in the world and you have to adapt. You have to be fluid. You have to, you know, take what you've learned and take your skill set and apply it in a place that wherever the opportunity presents itself. <clears throat> you're going to have ups and downs. I, I did a, a, I was part of a panel for one of the annual meetings in 2020. And the panel discussion was transferable land skills because yeah. half of the APL membership were, were jobless at the time. And and we went through all those things, you know, we talked about finance, we talked about the, 
you know, the right of way in the electric utility industry. We talked about solar and wind because yeah. I had some exposure to that that was just really starting to pick up during COVID and the renewables and all the things that were, were coming down the line. And we had a whole discussion about it. And, and we've seen a number of people on the land profession, profession going to those, those places, going to corporate development, going to, you know, the finance world. Uh, get, in, get into the renewables business. So we were talking yesterday, um, you know, a big part of our business now is is in electric utility. It's in the renewables, it's alternative energy, it's yeah. geothermal, it's wind, solar, um, you know, battery charging, EV charging stations, all those things. And in, in each one of those sectors, we're working with a landman. Whether they know it or not, they don't call themselves landmen. Yeah. They call themselves developers. It's yeah. the same job. And yeah. and more and more we've got I've got oil and gas clients that I worked for for years that are now in the renewable space as project developers for solar companies, for wind companies, and they absolutely thrive. Um <clears throat> they do a great job. They get in. I mean, they're contributing day one. And I would not be surprised at all for you to see more and more of your your graduates yeah. getting those development jobs with those companies because there's such a tremendous amount of money going into it. Um, that, you know, it, Dudley told me years and years ago, he said, Brent, whatever you do, and this is when I first, you know, was working my way up through the company, he said, follow the money. And it's a very yeah. simple thing. You know, money provides opportunity. And if you capitalize on it, you know, you'll always have a job and you'll keep landing working. And that's where it's at. And, and not to say that oil and gas isn't there. We're very busy in oil and gas. It's healthy. Oh. Things are active and it's great. But it's just what other opportunities are out there for, for, people to continue working to your point, your the, the, the picture in the background tells a lot of stories. You're going to have your ups and downs as a land professional. It's, am I going to hit the ground running? And, and do I have an awareness of what else is out there? What, which skills yeah. might are transferable and you know, which way do I point this horse whenever, whenever I need to go. And, um, they've just done great. And it's a great, it's a great program. It's a great profession. Um, and, and you can you can very much go back and forth, and we're able to keep a lot of really good landmen working because we have those opportunities for them. And you're able to place students because you're the work that you guys are doing to expose them and expose the you know uh, employers to your program. And um, it's great to hear that y'all are doing that and that the other programs are as well. You bet. Yeah, Mike. I uh, really loved that whenever you stepped into the program, the first one of the first things you did was take a look at the mission statement and revamp it. Um, I, I love that approach, and it's so critical to running a great organization or a great program. And you had mentioned, uh, you mentioned integrity several times in the conversation already, but even in your discussion about, uh, you know, Enron, like you mentioned earlier, how that's sometimes a hard story to tell. I'm sure that mission statement was at the forefront of the, the organization that was running when you were there and that you were very bought into the integrity aspect of it. But obviously there were some issues there. I think all of our listeners would love to hear a little bit about the inside perspective of being inside of Enron and uh, okay. being there during the collapse. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, you know, it's interesting when I, when I prepared that talk and I went on for about an hour and I, I kind of went through what uh, a lot about what Enron was. I, people don't even remember. And, and so, and then really what I did is I tried to take a balanced approach. And that was, 
outside of accounting and the finance piece of it, what else was really going on on a day-to-day basis? And I, I listed basically 11 things that were positive and 11 things they did poorly. And it was interesting to put that together and put it down on paper. And some of the lessons are, are very much lessons about how you react to certain situations. And one of the points that I made in this talk was, you know, we went at Enron, we went from smart to clever. And in my household, a clever is a bad word because I think there's a huge difference. And I challenge our students, are you smart or are you being cute? Are you being clever? And, and I think that there's a, you know, it's an interesting line to, to bring on that. Uh, the other one that we talk a lot about is, are you confident? We went from confident to arrogant. And at the very first at Enron, when I was there on the pipeline side, I didn't know what Enron was. I was working for Florida Gas. And uh, what I didn't understand until I got in there was they were coast to coast and border to border pipelines. And that's what started Enron and the trading and then going into deregulation and then electricity and then global power. It was, it was really four pipeline companies. And I was working in one of those. And there was a, a view when we would go and talk to a customer about what products we have and what our approach to business was. We were problem solvers. And it, it would be an interesting conversation. What do you have to deal with your, that makes your life hell? You know, what, what is, what's tough for you guys? And usually it was, well, it's the price of damn spot gas going up and down. And if I don't buy it properly, I can get fired. And it was one of these conversations. Well, if, if I was able to offer you a fixed price, would that be good for you? And they go, oh, this would solve all my problems because I could actually lock in my feed gas for my power plant and, and lock that up and not worry about that aspect of the business anymore. And so the company early on brought solutions and we were confident because we, we really had some amazingly smart people at the company, but then we became arrogant. And in that same conversation that I would have, if we fast forwarded it five years, the conversation might be, Hey, I've got something you absolutely have to have. Well, I've been studying your business and this is what you've got to do. What? <laughs> That's awful. And I, and I think the culture uh, was that. And I'm afraid it was a little bit more of a trading culture. And, you know, I traded a lot of commodities and ran large trading groups. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a, a more harsh environment. And we went from solving problems to pushing product. And I, I think that was a part of it. The, we were, you know, with all the trading, and, and it's hard to tell you how big we were in trading. I mean, we were the liquidity in the world on oil and gas. And I don't think we fully understood that uh, until it went under. And, you know, we were trading uh, Enron as a company and let's just talk natural gas for a minute. Uh, if, if in 2000, I think we touched 40% of all the gas molecules in the United States. We touched somewhere in that value chain and then we traded around it and, you know, it had derivatives around those, those positions. And what I did not realize till close to the end was that we were trading tenfold back on derivatives. So imagine moving 40 BCF a day and touching that much volume and then trading 400 BCF wow. a day. 
of, of value of derivatives. And so I, that environment was incredibly profitable. It is non-recurring profit, however, because you don't know until your next trade. But I will tell you that the trading overall is a much more harsh environment. And, and so, you know, I think, I think our culture was, was an issue. Uh, we paid a lot of money to people. I will tell you that Enron employees made a lot, but my God, they worked a lot. <laughs> uh, the energy level of the company was electric. I think people walked faster when you entered that business. And, and Brent, I don't know if you ever did that walk into the Enron building and, you know, in the late nineties or early, you know, 2000 in Houston, but it was, it was kind of the Goldman Sachs of, of physical, you know, commodities. Yeah. And that's really cool. There were some really neat aspects of it. My business unit, God, it was, it was hard for me personally because we were doing so well in that, that last year and, and to watch it all just collapse and to watch thousands of people lose their jobs. And what was interesting about the Enron piece and talking to the group about ethics, one of the things that I had to do, and I will tell you, I absolutely hate it, is I have to tell people when I'm doing an ethics conversation, who is talking to you? I'm an Enron executive. I was on the executive committee of Enron in my 30s, which frankly crazy when I look back at it, what I was doing at a very young age. But uh, I, I am the, I was on the executive committee and I am the only executive committee member that never got talked to by the SEC, the Department of Justice or the FBI. Really? And I will tell you, it was a journey to discover why. And, you know, you, we were talking before this about my book and that book was a journey to try to understand why. And, and I don't think there's a, a magic answer. If you make me boil it down to one thing is living with integrity is, is just so vital, you know, doing what you say you're going to do every day. And I don't think that a lot of the conversations people had implied that were going on, but if they were going on, I wasn't invited and I would have called BS on it. And, uh, I don't need to say that, huh? They probably knew that. Well, I think so. If they happened again, I, I really don't want to make this about individuals. Because there were a lot of people that didn't do anything wrong. They got talked to, you know, by the Department of Justice. But, but it was an interesting fact. And the culture had some real positives and it had real negatives. And it was, uh, it was a difficult time because I was painted as a bad guy. If you're on the executive committee of Enron Corp., you're a bad person. And it took a long time to make sure that not everybody was bad. And what's so fun for me is looking at especially more of the junior executives at the time and how successful they've been. It's not a surprise, right? That we, the company hired hundreds of brilliant people and they've done really well in their careers. And that's, that's fun. And, you know, really the, my, my job after Enron joining Johnny and doing Jones Energy was so critical to me to, to have a, to be in a company and to do a work that had, unbelievable integrity and reputation yeah. and that would be the jones family out of albany texas why do you John think Rex those jones, uh, why do you think those people were so successful mike i mean those well people. i think it gets back to some of the same things about doing what they said they were going to do and treating people right and i i remember john rex told me a story one time it's a john rex is john rex jones out of albany texas uh johnny and av both were 
giants in the industry and AV has passed. John Rexon is still around and, and I, love, I love being with him. But uh, Johnny is John Rex's son. And I think when I learned from him, and it's really funny, if, if we were on a studio, I'd pull something out. I have a, a magazine from the Only Gas Journal and it sits on my bookcase. And it's a picture of John Rex Jones as chairman of the IPAA. And I have kept that out to where I can see it my entire career, whether it's the 50th floor of Enron or being employee number 12 at Jones Energy. And what he taught me was you can do your business and do it with integrity. Do what you say you're going to do and, and do it. And I remember one story about him that I learned and I, I was able to take this and it was Johnny's philosophy at, at Jones Energy 100% is we were talking about, uh, we are looking at a location and it was terrible. It was weeds and it was messy. And it was like, wow, I, that's embarrassing. And he told me the story. He would take his, you know, big Mercedes and he would put this big thing of weed killer in the back of his trunk. And we'd go out to the locations and, and kill weeds. That matters. That matters. And a lot of our deals yeah, that made Jones so successful, I always used a philosophy of, you know, I, all I want to do is win all the ties. I think in this world, the liquidity is out there. The visibility is the transparency is out there. Who do you want to deal with? And if, if you're a person that does what they say and treats people honestly, we want a lot of ties. And to me, that's what I'm trying to impart on some of these youngsters is working that way and living that way and making decisions that way uh, for their and for their families. Everything that they do, I love this culture of excellence. And, you know, to me, we, we kind of redid the business office here and I, I wish I could show you around, but it's, uh, it's a very comfortable environment. We have kids in here all the time. We have two big conference room tables and they're students and a, a real high energy. And, it's also a safe place. But what I've told them is this is still a place of business. So in my class, the entry level class, the, the energy management 3001 intro to energy management, our students uh, have to wear business casual. And I have guest speakers come in and talk. And we had six CEOs come in and talk at, about the businesses they were in. And I wanted to hit every business. And every sector, we had renewables, we had renewable natural gas, we had a mineral company, we had a typical MP company. We really tried to bring it all in. And one of the lessons to my students is, if this doesn't excite you, you really need to change your major. It doesn't get better than this. And uh, because it's really fun, because you get these executives and they're just passionate about what they do. And, you know, passion persuades. And I, that's what I, I hope they get out of this is that they come out of this with the right mindset and the right approach to business. And, you know, I, when I, I talked about taking this job, one of the things that I said was going to be very important to me is that I would not have, have office hours. And they're like, well, you have to have office hours. It's like, no, I have a hundred percent office hours. If, if I'm here and I'm not on the phone, I'm there for the students. And, you know, it's funny how the numbers work, but the more successful students. We talk all the time. We solve business problems. 
like we share each other's perspectives. We talk about interview techniques and what's important. And it's that's just been a joy uh, to be here is to be with those students. Yeah, so much of what you take from school is, and even in your, we talked the other day about, you know, that first five years is, you know, that's when you really learn your job. But yeah. school is more like establishing habits, you know, uh, yeah. being able to communicate, taking things seriously, you know, learning how to adapt, learning, learning how to learn, <laughs> really yeah. the responsibility, um, got the, the friends you make, the connections, the contacts yeah. you're going to make that are going to be in your industry and in your profession will take you so far. Um, then when you go to work, you actually start learning what you're going to do. Um, Absolutely. And it's important to be there. And one of the advice I always give to these youngsters that are graduating, they're going off to these really cool jobs. And I said, I would say, this is a time for work. I don't, you don't want to be thinking about life balance, show what you can do. And, and by the way, if your boss says you can work from home three days a week, how about saying, you know, thank you, sir, but no, thank you. I'll, I'll, I think I'll be in the office because if you're not, you're not learning. Yeah, you can work at home, but they're in the, the time of their life to grow and to really understand what's happening. You can't do that from home. And uh, it's been kind of funny because I've gotten some feedback to some of the, the kids. It's like, what? You want to be at the office. It's kind of interesting. What's well, the and difference? One of the things that I also talk a lot about is, you know, this this major, God bless it, you know, is like I said, the top salary out of the business school. And it's not even close, especially if you're going into be a landman itself. Uh, but it's always about, you know, save your money. <laughs> Pay your taxes. You aren't worth this yet. You will be, but you're not worth this yet. But, you know, earn this. Earn this, what you're getting. And, and you know, don't let the door hit you in the rear at five o'clock. And and in my intro class, you know, I talk a lot about that. Can I tell you what I do in intro? You might find it interesting when I when I get in. And, I want to hear talk it. To I could probably learn something from it. <laughs> oh, no, 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 not that. So what's interesting, when I've, I've gone back to start growing the, the major again. So I'm going out and talking to sophomores and un, business undecided. And even freshmen sending letters out about the major. And it's so interesting. Um, we have these business, they're called bad classes, BAD. And at OU, it's got a really cool system to where you have to take these classes, but they're not for credit. And you learn lots of different things. You learn how to eat at a fancy table. You, you learn how to do interviewing. You learn how to write a better letter. You know, it's really a, a life lesson sort of thing. And I've been fortunate enough, and let me come in and talk to them about the major because we've been so quiet because I've not been growing it. And, and so... It's so interesting. I get this and I, I got it today by a young man that came in and I talked to him about the major. And the first thing I have to answer to people that aren't in energy is, is this major going to be around in three years? Isn't oil and gas going away? And, and so I just kind of chuckle at that, except it's not very funny that, telling. that they're, they're, they're not uneducated. It's, it's not about them. It's about the system that they live in. And the other one is, you know, why would I want to do this? Because you are literally killing the planet in oil and gas. And, and one of the things that I talk about before I even can talk about the major is I go, does everybody understand that, you know, we move a lot of hydrocarbons right now. In fact, you know, right now, 
uh, if you look back 10 years ago, hydrocarbons were 86% of all electricity generated. It was, that was the, the, the fuel for electricity. You realize that now, today, even though we spent $3 trillion in renewables, fossil fuels is 83% of the global supply for electricity. And, and by the way, do you realize that by the studies of our government, we will be moving more natural gas in 2050 than we're, than we're running today. And it just shocks them. And I said, the one commodity that is not going to grow is coal. But would you be surprised if I told you that we will move more coal in 2050 as a globe than we're moving today? And, and they're just stunned by it. And I said, well, what you don't realize is what's happening in India and China. Yeah. And, and I said, just I'll give you one fact to take away uh, to these students. And I said, you realize that China, first of all, we haven't built a, a coal plant in so long. I don't even know what it was. But China is putting out a coal plant every 12 days. Every 12 days. And they're going to continue to do that. They're not good because they need cheap energy. We have lived with cheap energy. And it's, it's one of the reasons we are America, who we are today, much less the security of our nation by having you know, control of our, our oil and gas. But anyway, back to the class. See, you just you asked me one question. I haven't gotten to it. You know, I give a lot of, of messages. I've talked about integrity. I've talked about the ties, who you are. And, and I actually go through and I have them write out a personal mission statement and, and make them think about what they really stand for. But I do three things in the class. And one, I, I brought a prop. So this is a book that's on the history of this program. And it's, I think I'm in the eighth version of it, but they have to read this outside of class and I give them a test on it because I want them to understand the history of this program. But what I've tried to do is make it more interesting and talk about what each director has faced. And when he rolled out as director, what was going on at the time? And, and they take a test on this and it's a really good perspective, I thought. And this is an old tradition that I've kept. Uh, on this program. The second one was a funny one that I did, and, and you, we, you already brought it up. But the second book they have to read is Who Moved My Cheese? And I think all of us have talked about this before, but I'm a great believer in this book, and I, I won't bore you with why. But uh, we're so volatile in this world, they have to understand how they handle change. And it's fascinating to get essay questions back on what they learned. It's really, really fun. And then the third one is in, in the kind of walk the talk about electricity. Uh, I used to do Alex Epstein's uh, book, uh, and then I've done other books, but I moved it to Robert Bryce's book, A Question of Power. So it's an electricity book. And I wanted the students to understand all about electricity and what it means to the globe and where we are today. And so you get some of these, I've got some tough language. You know, I, like I said before, if the door's going to hit you in the ass at five o'clock, I really want you to change your major. And, you know, they're looking at me kind of funny, but well, it's, I a said, mentality. I, it's 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 is reality and it's how to be successful because the three of us on this this video, we know how to do that. It's about working hard. Yeah. Hand and, up, not hand out. Exactly. Exactly. So. I do a lot of that. You think, see, you only have to put up with this for an hour. I get a whole semester with that. Well, it, it's it's for the best. And 
you know, I think it's, it's widely known that the students that come out of that program are prepared. They're, they're ready to go. And it's, it's because it's well thought out and, and the program has done a great job and it's been a, a big support of the industry and it's a, we all admire it for sure. Well, thank you. We, we, uh, you know, one of the questions you asked that we should address is what are we doing now? What, what is the direction of the program? Um, I've just kicked off and it's been a pretty good year now is we are adding a renewable certificate to the Price College of Business in Energy Management. And I've designed the curriculum and we got the approvals uh, recently through Price College. And starting in spring of 2024, so basically the next semester, uh, we're going to start this. And it's a 15-hour certificate. And I've designed it to where they really get a good uh, understanding of power uh, and of what's happening in business development and things like that. Sorry. That's interesting. I, I rarely get phone calls like that. Uh, <laughs> Open and, 100% of the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so it's 15 hours, but I've designed it to where energy management students take so much energy and related courses, they only have to take two. And so they can get out with energy management and oil and gas primarily, and then an, a renewable certificate. I think that's really going to be a differentiator for OU, the Price College of Business, and this major. And so I'm, I'm right now in the process of hiring, you know, adjuncts and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's a, another part of this major that I adore. And that is that, you know, of the 13 hours of energy management courses, they're all taught by adjuncts. These are industry professionals. All they want to do is get back and educate. Yeah. And it is phenomenal to watch. I asked yeah. him if I could just sit in just to, just to watch. And uh, it is really fun to be to, to watch that and be part of that and we're going to start off the program doing that so it's interesting trying to find people that are experts in power uh or in the sustainability regulatory environment and about trading of power i i joke that i'm a molecule guy not an electron guy and it's been nice to be a molecule guy because the fact is gas moves at about 18 miles per hour in a pipeline and in power, in the electrons, it moves at the speed of light. So it's there. You kind of have to uh, make a quicker decision. And so hopefully we can give our students some really good background that they can add value from day one and, yeah. and really understand it. One of the things that's been successful is, is some of these financial groups. I talked about you know, Goldman and, and Morgan Stanley. You can put one of our graduates, double majors in finance, into a portfolio company that's in energy. And you don't have to teach them about that. And so they, they really have a good grasp of both those, those aspects. And we don't want to learn, we don't want to lose that, but we also want to have that same thing happen in renewables. You, we've talked about kind of the transition and, and a new season for energy management students and, and land professionals in general. Um, you know, how, how do you see the, what's the next generation of land, man? You know, what, what are we going to be? You know, what are your students that are graduating this semester? What, what do you see their careers being? What do you see the next 20 years for them being 30, 40 years? Well, that's, that's a really interesting question. And I, I, I'll answer it this way. That kind of gets back to my business card issue is I think what we're building is commercial acumen and energy. And I think we have no idea where this is going to go. Every time I think I know what I'm doing, I'm completely wrong. The price of only gas 
I used to be pretty good at this. And now I just look at it, and scratch my head. And I think the key is going to be having the flexibility to change in, in this world of energy. It's changing faster. And I don't even know what to say about AI and the ability of, of, of programs like this to help make decisions. But at the end of the day, if you are strong commercially, you can follow those trends and you can be the land man of 10 years from now. I don't know what that looks like. You know, you are in it every day. You know, I, I need to ask you, what's it going to look like in 10 years? I'm just trying to build flexibility and understanding and business so they can they can pivot just like what we're pivoting. Yeah, I think I, answer, I don't know. If that's no, it, it does. I'm just curious. I mean, it's because it 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 lives in my dreams. <laughs> what are what's what's our company going to be? What what do I need to be preparing my company to to be able to handle? Uh, what do I need to be training my people to, to do? And, and everybody's asking the same questions. And and um, you know the the fact is right. We just don't know. But we better be nimble. We better be prepared to adapt. Uh, we better behave in a way and and have a good handle on who are we, what are we as an organization or as a professional, as a father, as a you know yeah. a mother, uncle, grandfather. You know those are the things you can control. And I think you've done a great job, you know, living that example, but also you know passing that forward to the to your students and and to the people that you work with. And uh, I, I really think that's all we can control is the type of person you are and the example you set and, um, and how, you, how you march to the beat of your drum, right? It's, yeah. This is who we are. This is how we're going to behave and we'll make it and we'll adapt and we'll evolve. And, and yeah. um, you know, if you're a service organization like me or an educator like you or an executive of an of a, you know, energy company, um, if you can live center to that, everything will be okay. And uh, you can be proactive with your decisions and staying behind it, not second guess yourself. And, um, you know, it's maybe it's, look back in 15 years and say, Oh, look at that. We're, oh, absolutely. Look I mean, think about looking back five years ago. Oh God. Uh, yeah. Pre COVID world. Uh, it's, you know, I, you know, obviously, you know, showed us all how, how, how much we're connected. And we all know that. Yeah. I just remember early on, I, I lectured many, many years ago after the, the nuclear problem in Japan. And, and I was, happened to be lecturing the day after that occurred. And, and we were talking about it. I said, you guys realize that your careers, the price of oil and natural gas were affected by a problem in Japan. And, it, and it's affected today. This is who you need to be now. You need to be flexible. You need to be smart. You need to be an A player. A players hire A players. Yep. So be an A player. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot about money and, and the kids make a lot coming out. And I, I think they've got a good perspective on it. I hope so. I try to. You hope they do. The right way to look at it. And what I They're talk still 22 about, years old. So it, well, it's, it's hard. <laughs> it, it is hard. And, and I, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, you've just got to understand that money is the result of hard work. It's not a goal. And if you can understand that and just be a, an A player and, and come in and give it all you got. We talk about when you go home at the end of your day, you need to be tired. Yeah. My dad said, if you're not tired, you haven't earned your money. Yeah. And I, there's something to say about that. And I, yeah. I kind of impart that. You can imagine how I lecture these kids. They hate me. No, <laughs> uh, they're so happy to graduate. No, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know, that's what separates. I mean, you, you talk about just indications of how society has changed with the conversations you have with entry level students. And hopefully what you, you hope with someone as they, you know, those first two, three, four years, and if they're displaying those habits and living by those habits, the opportunity to separate themselves is immense. I mean, really show up to work, learn, work, be a hard worker, be a good team player, have the right attitude. God, it's got a limit because so many of their peers maybe aren't living by that or haven't had that example presented to them. Absolutely. Um, it's, and I, I wouldn't say some, I would say most. You're probably right. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, I have a grave concern for the country on work ethic and I hope this is just a change and everybody's changing. And the nice part is you'll have more access to information, but it, it does bother me a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I know, and I talked to some of my old CEO buddies and they're talking about hiring people and have to promise them three days a week from home. That just boggles my mind that, that that is occurring because at Jones or even in my groups at Enron, it was all about what culture are we creating? And what culture can you have two days a week? And what culture can you develop as a youngster? Uh, it, I, just, I just don't want them to be lost. Well, we struggle with it. And I know a lot of business owners. I mean, Khalil's a business owner. You've obviously run major companies. And it's you always need an influx of new and fresh talent. You always need people. But how do you build that culture if they're not there? You know, if they can't absorb you and absorb the people around you and the, and the people in your company by virtue of just being around and building that culture and yep. seeing examples of that, um, you know, in person, God, it's so hard. It's so difficult. We're all going to have to adapt, right? It is what it is. You know, these are the circumstances we're living with. But, you know, so, you know, you have to think differently about how you present that, how you set those values and how deliberate you are about exercise to show who we are and show the importance of why you need to be here and yeah. <clears throat> you know what the value is and um it's it's different <laughs> it's certainly different but it sure is refreshing when i you know talk to a young man it's like hey i'll go wherever where do you need me and it's like oh gosh you know i'm so happy to see you <laughs> you're gonna be fine kid you know yeah, exactly um, and um it's refreshing to see those and and you know, the cream rises to the top. It always does. And you, you nail a players, you know, we say a player a lot and, yeah. and understanding what an a player is within your organization is huge. It's a big deal. You have to define it and you have to vocalize it and you have to hold people accountable to being an a player. Yeah. Um, and you have to strive to be that. Um, not everybody is, but you want people in your organization or your peers, they need to be capable of being that. Yeah. And nobody, you know, not everybody's an a player and, you want to be able to strive to that. Um, and if you've got the right mentality and the right attitude and, and constantly want to approve and, and improve, uh, you'll, you'll be fine. So I don't know. We'll see what the next 10 or 15 years looks like. But um, Mike, man, super excited to have had you. Thank you for your time. Um, it, it's uh, just a privilege to get to, to sit down and visit, hear your story and hear what you do with the program. And, um, you know, We'll, we'll love to keep watching what you do and, and, and see the success of the students in the program. And hopefully I'll keep working for a bunch of your students for another 15 or 20 years. Um, they're good. I'll do my best to whip them into shape. Absolutely. I, I, I'll, I'll follow up and see how you're doing. 
They'll probably uh, they'll be whipping me in the shape. I can promise you. Well, thank you for for having me on. This has been so fun, and uh, I'm sorry I just kind of sucked the air out of the room because that's kind of what I do. But it's uh, I, I I just get so fired up being around these kids and trying to give that's them that great. experience to to take forward. And it's I, I really appreciate this. I can't wait to see how bad I was on tape. When you've got a face built for radio, yeah. you know, believe good. me, believe yeah. me, I've got the face built for radio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have the voice for radio. It's not, I don't even know why I'm here. We're just uh, we're, we're, in, we're just trying to talk about land stuff. And there's so many interesting people in our yeah. in our business, and uh, so many great conversations I've had over the years, and got to meet so many people. We thought, you know what, we need to do this. This is this is a, oh, a great I, I platform for I, land I, men, I, and it, uh, I definitely cool. need to go out to your library and see these because I I uh, it's fun. And, well, you got to follow know, it. You know, we've got like 14 followers, and they're all of our moms. And our grandmas and things like I'm that. I'm going to be so. number 15 today. <laughs> there we go. Oh, awesome. If anyone needs to get in touch with you, Mike, how can they, you know, I'm sure there's people listening that are maybe interested in the program for their kids or, you know, know sure. someone that could be referred or even want to come and be an adjunct professor or speak at a guest lecture spot. How can they get in touch with you? You bet. I think the easiest way is, 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 is an easy uh, email and it's M McConnell all rolled together. And that's M M C C. O-N-N-E-L-L at O-U dot E-D-U. Pretty simple. Simple enough. Well, we'll put that in the show well, notes for everybody, but we, we really appreciate having you on and thank you for your time. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for, for doing this and it was great talking with you. All right. Same Thanks. here, Mike. Appreciate Have it. Have a good rest of your day. All right. Thanks for listening to The Land Department. Check out our website in the show notes or visit dudley-land.com to learn more about us.